0: Welcome inside Appalachia, I'm Mason Adams. Black lung disease is back. In fact, it never went away. As miners try to get at ever thinner coal seams, they're digging into rock, and all that dust gets into their lungs. Now, younger and younger miners are living with the particularly nasty form of black lung disease.
1: We're counting thousands of cases, thousands and thousands and thousands of black lung cases thousands of cases of the most severe form of black lung, and we're not done counting yet.
0: Regulators in the coal industry have known about the problem for decades, but they've been slow to respond. One reporter asks, what would happen if thousands of workers in any other
2: industry got sick and died just because of where they worked? There would be outrage, and there would be response, and there would be response quicker than what has come. I don't know why people don't seem to care about coal miners. This week, we're talking about the black lung epidemic inside Appalachia.
0: Welcome inside Appalachia. I'm Mason Adams. An epidemic is rampant across the coal-producing regions of central Appalachia. We're talking about advanced black lung which has become widespread among miners in West Virginia, eastern Kentucky, and southwestern Virginia. This isn't just what's known as simple black lung, as debilitating as that condition is. It's an advanced version, known as progressive massive fibrosis. It's the result of miners digging at increasingly thin coal seams. That means they're also cutting into quartz, which creates silica dust. Advanced black lung results from breathing in that blend of silica and coal dust. The salement's been documented for decades, but it's getting new attention from federal officials. We'll get to that a little later in the show. But first, we wanted to air an older story that lays out the problem. In 2017, NPR and the PBS series Frontline spent more than a year investigating fears that federal regulators and mining companies were failing to protect coal miners from toxic dust. They obtained documents and data showing federal mine safety officials had evidence of the danger dating back more than 20 years, but never addressed it. In 2018, NPR reported that more than 2,000 miners were dying of illness related to that toxic dust. NPR's Howard Burkus traveled across Appalachia to meet many of those miners,
2: and he filed this story. Before we get to why it happened, here's why it matters. Listen to some of the three dozen coal miners we interviewed, all suffering from progressive massive fibrosis, the advanced stage of what's known as black lung. It's a disease that turns lungs crusty and useless. The doctor says my lungs started shutting down. I said it's hardened just like a lump of coal.
3: It's bad when you can walk outside and all that air out there and you can't get none in your lungs. For is trying to take a bag of trash out. Steps and hills. I can even walk up my driveway to check my mailbox. And whenever your grandchildren come up and they say, let's go out and play ball or let's go uh, look at the creek or something, or you ain't able to walk out with it. It makes you feel about an inch high. You get up hacking, spitting black and blood. Coughing to the point of
4: almost throwing up. It's a death sentence. We're going to die from it.
3: There's no cure for
2: it, it's going to kill you. And knowing that that's coming to you, it's pretty hard to take. That's from Inhaling Coal Mine Dust for Roy Mullins, Jimmy Wampler, Edward Fuller, Charles Shortridge, Jackie Yates, Bernard Carlson, Roy Sparks, Greg Kelly, Lacey Dutton Jr., and Jerry Helton. They mined coal underground and above for 20 to 40 years in Kentucky, Virginia, and Pennsylvania and they share simple milestones for ruined lives.
4: It's like cutting grass, and I got a big yard, and there's only one part that we have to have actually push mode, and it's 18 passes is what it is.
2: Danny Smith pushes a lawnmower in front of his white ranch home in a holler, a narrow valley, in Canada, Kentucky. He wears a T-shirt, jeans, and ball cap, and a cloth dust mask stretching from eyes to neck.
4: And I used to be able to mow it in about six minutes. And the last time that I tried it, it took me about six hours to cut it. Uh, And I'm not exaggerating at all. I would have to stop and go in and sit down and rest, put my oxygen on, then go back out and make two or three more passes.
2: Smith spent only 12 years mining coal. Six years ago, he says, when he was only 39, he was diagnosed with progressive massive fibrosis. And after a few minutes mowing, Smith spits up a wet crust, dark gray with black streaks. It's dead lung tissue. It dies so fast it just peels away, his respiratory therapist says. Smith recovers enough to settle into a chair on the porch and clips to his nose a tube that leads to an oxygen tank.
4: I'm terrified. I'm scared of suffering like my dad suffered because I sure don't want to go through what he went through. I've seen a lot of guys that died of black lung and they all suffered like that. I worry about my kids and my wife and how are they going to make it when I'm gone. And it's heartbreaking. If I was to die tomorrow, they'll lose everything.
2: In the last eight (laughs) years, more than 2,000 coal miners were diagnosed with progressive massive fibrosis, according to Black Lung Legal and Medical Clinics surveyed by NPR in Ohio, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Virginia, and Kentucky. Some are part of the largest clusters of the disease ever reported says Scott Laney, an epidemiologist at the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health.
1: I think this is clearly one of the worst industrial medicine disasters that, that's ever been described.
2: Laney and his colleagues have also documented the highest rate of basic black lungs since the early 1990s, among miners still working in central Appalachia with at least 25 years on the job. One in five has the disease, he says.
1: We're counting thousands of cases, thousands and thousands and thousands of black lung cases, thousands of cases of the most severe form of black lung. And we're not done counting yet.
2: Here's what NPR and Frontline discovered about why this is happening. In the last 30 years, miners in Appalachia cut more and more rock while mining coal, rock that contains quartz. And when quartz is cut by mining machines, it creates fine and barbed particles of toxic silica dust. Almost all the sick and dying miners we interviewed, with 12 to 40 years in mining, describe more of this rock and coal seams. That includes Bill Cantrell, James Muncie, Harold Dotson, and Randall Owens. Back in the 80s and early 90s, I was a lot of just mostly coal. But as it went on, no
3: matter where you went, you had rock.
4: Probably last 20 years I have cut more rock than
3: I cut coal. All the good seams were gone because there were not hardly no solid seams of coal left. And there were more rock in the coal. A little seam of coal, probably eight inches thick. The rest of that was rock, six and a half foot. The more rock you had to cut, the duster it was. It's like being in a, a room full of smoke. Like you're sitting in a cloud. Like walking into a fog bank. You're on that into your lungs as well. You know, that's just like fiberglass. It cuts your lungs out of hell. It'd choke you up. I used to spit it up. Constantly. We just couldn't keep the dust down good enough.
2: Everywhere I worked, we could rock. The silica dust that results is easily inhaled and lodges in lungs forever. Epidemiologist Scott Laney.
1: It makes a huge impact because silica is a lot more toxic than coal mine dust. Somewhere around 20 times more toxic, and it can cause disease much more rapidly.
2: So get this. NPR and Frontline documented thousands of instances in which miners were exposed not just to coal dust, but to that toxic silica dust at dangerous levels. That's what we found in 30 years of data collected by federal regulators. They measure coal and silica dust where miners are working. And 85% of the time, they reported safe levels of silica. But the rest of the time, there were 21,000 instances of dangerous exposures to silica. That's what causes disease, is the excessive exposure. I think if the intent of enforcement is to reduce exposure and you're getting overexposure, it didn't work. Jim Weeks is an industrial hygienist who has worked for the Federal Mine Safety Agency and the United Mine Workers Union. NPR and Frontline found that federal enforcement does not directly address silica dust. If there's too much silica... Mines are put on a much tougher limit for overall coal mine dust. That's supposed to lower the silica exposure because the coal and silica dusts are usually mixed. But it didn't always work. There were still dangerous levels of silica or quartz close to 9,000 times in the last 30 years. They didn't pay sufficient attention. And, you know, we got the bodies to prove it. I mean, these guys wouldn't be dying if people had been paying attention to quartz. It's that simple. And when federal mine inspectors issued citations for too much silica, which they did only a fraction of the time, they said more than 9,000 miners were affected. Now, the data only show what happens when regulators are checking. They often didn't check during some of the most dangerous Uh, uh, exposures.
4: This was a big operation right here.
2: Not far from his house in Kentucky.
4: I won't pull on her property, but that's it right there.
2: Danny Smith slows his SUV as we pass an abandoned coal mine. He and other miners use drills and mining machines here, cutting through solid rock underground to get from one coal seam to another.
4: You know, it was a rock dust. We had all kinds of air, but I was still breathing it all in, I guess, anyway, regardless.
2: And how many uh, days, weeks, months? Oh, it took
4: months to do that. Oh, Lord, it was seven seven days a week. Man, 16 hours a day.
2: This is called (laughs) slope mining, and it's not really mining. There's no coal involved. It's all about cutting through solid rock to get to coal seams. And because there's no coal, there's no requirement for sampling the air for dust, even if it's the most dangerous dust. That's optional. Danny Smith cut at least two slope mines. Is it possible that your disease came from cutting through solid rock for... Hour after hour, day after day, month after month?
4: Very possible, yeah. Most of my mining career, I run a continuous miner. I run a roof bolter also. And it's very possible from all the hours that we worked.
2: Roof bolters drill into solid rock. Continuous miners cut rock and coal. Dust is supposed to be controlled by massive ventilation fans, curtains that channel air, and constant water sprays. Sometimes they worked, miners told us, and sometimes they didn't. There's also this. Dust masks or respirators are not required. Miners who use them told us they often didn't work anyway. They would clog up with dust, wet, and spit. I just never could get enough air.
3: And then it felt feel like somebody just sitting there with their hand over your face. About to give you a heart attack, trying kind to of breathe through it. They're not going to stop 100%. There's finer particles getting through them filters
2: that creates what I've got.
4: Some of the companies I work for didn't have them at all, period. I mean, there's no such thing as a dust mask.
2: Noah Counts, James Hayes, and Edward Wayne Brown are among the miners who weren't protected by dust masks. In fact, dozens of other miners, including Danny Smith, are suing dust mask suppliers. There's also this. Federal law makes masks secondary and optional in protecting miners. First and foremost, the law says, is keeping mine air safe. It all adds up to this for Celeste Monforten, a top mine safety official in the Clinton administration.
5: It's a combination of the regulations were not adequate. The enforcement of those regulations was not sufficient. And the mine operators themselves are, were not held accountable.
2: That didn't seem to be the direction back in 1992, when presidential candidate Bill Clinton met with coal miners in West Virginia suffering from black lung.
3: He's going to be our nominee, he's going to be our president, he's from Arkansas, his
2: name is Bill Clinton. Clinton told the miners and a crowd in Charleston that he knew what Black Lung could do, because he represented miners seeking Black Lung benefits when he was a young lawyer in Arkansas.
3: I saw those big strapping men who could no longer push a lawnmower across their front lawn, who could no longer pick their grandchildren up, some of them could not even make their own beds in the morning and I learned a lot about what a caring government would do
2: as compared with what a heartless one would. We found internal memos from the Clinton administration that showed alarm way back then about a cluster of advanced lung disease among coal miners as young as 40. The Mine Safety and Health Administration warned the industry back then about excessive exposure to silica and severe disease among miners. The Department of Labor Advisory Committee and the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health called for separate regulation of silica and an exposure limit twice as tough. David McAteer led the Mine Safety Agency at the time.
3: And we started a national campaign, first to raise awareness. And it was that campaign that began to try to go after the silica requirements and raise the silica standard and start on a separate path to control silica.
2: There were other dust control loopholes so big you could drive coal trucks right through them. Loophole number one. Mine inspectors did not check for coal and silica exposure most of the time. They inspected just four times a year underground and twice a year at surface mines. Loophole number two. Sampling devices did not check for mine dust the entire shifts miners worked, despite more and more overtime, double shifts, and six-day weeks. Loophole number three. When inspections turned up excess silica, mining companies could then take their own samples of mine dust unsupervised. They could average the results, which hid the worst exposures. And their samples were sometimes fraudulent, resulting in criminal prosecutions as recently as this year. Loophole number four. It could take weeks to get dust samples analyzed for silica. Overexposure could continue for dozens of shifts. Davitt McAteer says he tried to fix it all. But the National Mining Association, the industry's biggest lobbying group, sued and won. That
3: threw the silica standard back, and we weren't able to pick that up again and go forward with that. And then we ran out of time. And it's a, something that's unfortunate and put a lot of labs at risk in the meantime.
2: Remember, this was 20 years ago. There were clusters of severe disease like there are today. Miners were sick and younger like they are today. And cutting rock creating silica dust was blamed then too. There's nothing new about any of this, except thousands more miners are suffering severe disease, and silica is still not directly regulated. Celeste Monfort.
5: We failed. Had we taken action at that time, I really believe that we would not be seeing the disease that we're seeing now, and having miners die at such young ages from exposures that happened 20 years ago. I mean, I don't know how you can reach any other conclusion. I mean, this is such a gross and frank example of regulatory failure.
2: Nothing changed in the next administration of George W. Bush when a former coal mining executive ran the mine safety agency. Then-President Obama put Joe Mayne in charge. Mayne came from the United Mine Workers Union, and he was on that Labor Department Advisory Committee that sought tougher regulation of silica back in 1996. So it was very obvious that that whole scheme that had been in place that has left so many people sick had to be changed and had to be fixed. Mayne closed some of the big loopholes. No more sampling by mining companies, no averaging of samples, no sampling for just part of the work shift. New, real-time coal dust sampling devices were deployed to make the process more honest. And the exposure limit for coal mine dust got tougher, but not for silica. A high tide rises all boats, as the saying goes. We were going to get a benefit out of reducing the overall dust exposure by what we did would not only lower coal mine dust, but all dust that was part of that, including silica. But as we found in the agency's own data... That formula had failed thousands of times. Celeste Monfortin wonders why the agency missed that or ignored it.
5: The fact that you went back for 30 years and looked at that data, and that data was available to the agency to assess as well, why wasn't that problem recognized and rectified?
2: None of the former agency officials we spoke with could explain that. They thought they were doing what they needed to do. But another agency did act on silica, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. So now, every industry that cuts rock, every industry except mining, has those separate and tougher regulations on silica. Joe Maine left it to the Trump administration to address silica in mining.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our lecturer today, Secretary Zatezala.
2: At West Virginia University in September, President Trump's choice to lead the Mine Safety and Health Administration spoke to mining students. Well, thank you so much. David Zateslow is a former mining industry executive and lobbyist, and his agency declined multiple requests for interviews. So we were there, too, when Zateslow sounded unequivocal about silica and disease.
4: You hear the phrase in health circles over progressive, massive, fibrosis, these sorts of things. To me, I believe those are all clearly silica problems. Silica is something that has to be controlled.
2: But when we approached a Tesla afterward, he was suddenly uncertain. I don't
3: think the science is that well defined on it yet, Howard.
2: You have two thousand miners right now with. I don't. I meso- don't
3: think that the science of the causation is that well defined. I
4: don't. You know. said
2: yourself, could that you? Was no, yet,
3: I said yet. I
4: suspect silica. I didn't say it was. I said, I suspect, I think until such time as you figure out what it is, you don't really know.
0: Excuse me,
1: students.
2: Tesla was whisked away to pose for photographs with students. So far, his agency has no plan for separate and tougher regulation of silica at coal mines.
4: All right, sir, I want you to take in a big, deep
2: breath. In a black lung clinic in St. Charles, Virginia. Blow it out. A coal miner stands face-first against a wall-mounted x-ray panel, his bare back lit bright, except for a target shaped like a cross.
1: And breathe. You can go ahead and move, sir.
2: This clinic continues to diagnose new cases of progressive massive fibrosis at the rate of a dozen a month. The epidemic continues. So does the finger-pointing. Even the National Mining Association, the industry trade group, pushed for specific regulation of silica But mining companies also knew they were cutting more quartz. Quartz slows the mining process, and it has to be removed before coal can be sold. So why didn't mining companies act on their own? Here's Bruce Wattsman of the National Mining Association. Sure, they could have done that. But again, Howard, I'm not going to speculate on why they did or didn't do what they chose. You know, our focus here is forward-looking, how do we prevent this in the future? I can't answer for those what occurred in the past. Isn't part of figuring out what you need to do in the future recognizing maybe what you failed to do in the past? Sure it is. But at the same time, I recognize that we're doing better today than we did in the past, far better. The Mine Safety Agency says the same thing. Based on new data on those changes Joe Main pushed through a few years ago, mining companies now meet exposure limits for coal dust and silica 99% of the time. That's a deceptive statistic, says epidemiologist Scott Laney. Well,
1: they're sampled very infrequently, so we don't know what's going on with these miners when they're not being sampled. 99% of the time, we don't have information on that.
2: And it'll be 10 years or more, given the time it takes for disease to develop, to know whether the new dust rules really work.
4: They can't stop us from parking on the road.
2: Danny Smith pulls up to a parking lot choked with weeds. This was a Massey energy mine when Smith worked here. Massey is a defunct company now with deadly disasters in its history and a CEO who went to prison for conspiracy to violate mine safety laws. A ball cap shades Smith's face, sunglasses hide the tears.
4: It's eat at me and eat at me for at least the last two years that that I'm going to die over. It's over, you know, and it's heart, it's heartbreaking, you know, not knowing where you're going to see, have grandkids and you're going to ever see them and... and <clears throat> of all the things that could have killed me while I did work there, rock falls and all that stuff, you know, and I lived through all that. And I find out years later that I'm going to die over black lung, and it's heartbreaking.
2: Despite a downturn in mining, coal mines still employ about 50,000 workers nationwide. We well,
4: was all young and strong and stout, and they took advantage of us. Every one of us is either crippled or dead, you know. We was all young men.
2: We were just kids. Back at Danny Smith's house, in the holler in Canada, Kentucky, a small family cemetery sits at the edge of the lawn he has so much trouble mowing. It holds a single gravestone bright with flowers, and chiseled into it are the names of his parents. Behind it, in the shade, is the plot Danny Smith has picked for his own burial. He's 46 years old. Howard Berkus, NPR News. Coal's Deadly
0: Dust aired on the program Frontline in 2019. You can watch the entire episode at pbs.org. There have been some developments for some of the coal miners featured in that story. Danny Smith is being assessed for a double lung transplant. Among the other miners who appear, at least four have died and at least two have received double lung transplants. Coming up, we'll catch up with Howard Burkus for an update, including how a federal agency is
2: now responding to these advanced black lung cases. MSHA has taken two very significant steps here in this proposed rule. One is to make the exposure limit for silica dust twice as tough. That was recommended by the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health back in 1974.
0: You're inside Appalachia, I'm Mason Adams. Support for Inside Appalachia is provided by Concord University, educating the people of our region and beyond for more than 150 years. More information at concord.edu. Support for Inside Appalachia is provided by 16 Hands, presenting self-guided studio tours with handmade crafts in Floyd County, Virginia, October 21st and 22nd. Information at 16hands.com. We're talking today about advanced black lung, which has been surging in central Appalachia. Lately, the metallurgical coal industry has been ramping up production to meet global demand. Experts predict even more cases will appear. After years of inaction, though, federal officials are addressing the issue. Over the summer, the Mine Safety and Health Administration proposed a rule intended to protect coal miners from exposure to silica dust. Then the agency collected public feedback. By the time the comment period closed in September, the draft rule had attracted more than 5,000 comments. WVPB's Emily Rice reports.
6: For decades, the nation's top health officials have urged the Mine, Safety, and Health Administration, or MSHA, the federal agency in charge of mine safety, to adopt strict rules to protect miners from rock dust. In recent years, the problem has only grown as miners dig through more rock layers to get to less accessible coal, generating deadly silica dust in the process. Rebecca Shelton, the director of policy at the Appalachian Citizens Law Center, said an MSHA inspector would visit a mine quarterly to take an air sample to test for silica dust. According to Shelton, those measurements are not taken regularly enough, and she and other experts are unhappy with the current rule, which allows miners to be exposed to silica dust at 100 micrograms per cubic meter of air for an eight-hour shift. That 100 microgram standard
7: is not one that's supported by organizations or entities, other health institutions like the National Institution of Occupational Safety and Health, They, for many decades, have recommended an exposure level that's half of that. So we've known for a long time that this exposure level is too high.
6: On July 13th, MSHA proposed a rule that would cut the current limit for silica exposure in half, down to 50 micrograms per cubic meter of air for an eight-hour shift. That level matches the standards set by the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. The new rule would also set up protocols for sampling and monitoring silica dust exposure levels. For example, it
7: now asks that coal operators do some amount of sampling for silica dust. Our understanding is that the agency would still continue its quarterly sampling for silica dust. And if there are samples that are returned over that 50 microgram limit, that permissible exposure limit, they will require the operators, mine operators, to take corrective actions to reduce that limit.
6: However, after decades of inaction, miners and advocates worry about the government following through on these rules. In addition, they don't think the rule does enough to protect miners.
7: One we feel uncomfortable with the amount of lives that this rule is projected to affect because it's not many. The the analyses in the rule actually project that Fewer than 100 coal miners' lives will be saved, while hundreds continue to get sick.
6: A public comment period on the new rule was extended to September 11th to allow additional time to develop and submit comments on the proposal.
7: It's quite a variety of folks who have participated in this comment. Um, Former miners, organizations like ours who care about the health of minors and also the industry has participated as well. Doctors, a lot of folks who are are directly involved in and have been directly involved in treating minors who have been ill with this black lung disease.
6: More than 5,200 individuals signed on to a petition created by Appalachian Voices and Appalachian Citizens Law Center backing a stronger rule. Several desired changes to the rule were consistent throughout the comment process. Commenters want the rule enforced on a more frequent basis and for routine sampling to be performed by MSHA, not coal operators.
7: One of the things that we care a lot about is enforcing this new exposure limit based on more frequent and routine sampling conducted by the Mine Safety and Health Administration and not conducted, not relying on coal operator sampling, especially because the sampling technology that they have proposed in the rule is an old sampling technology that is easily manipulable by operators in in order to try to reduce what that sample returns.
6: Commenters also ask for stronger criteria for citations and to provide clear penalties for those violating the rule.
7: We do think that the rule needs to have more specificity around the criteria for issuing citations and and penalizing operators who violate the rule, the the requirements or the process for issuing citations or what will trigger a citation is not clear in the rule
6: Advocates for Miners with Black Lung also asked that the new rule include provisions to temporarily shut down mines in violation of silica dust limits rather than allowing them to stay open and rely on miners to use respirators
7: We do not think that it is a bad thing to have respirators and extra protection on hand we think that that absolutely should be the case but that If and when a mine can a mine is has dust levels that are over that safe exposure limit. We think that production should be shut down and that miners should be withdrawn until corrective actions can take place so that the ventilation plans, the engineering controls are adequate to reduce dust levels uh, back down to a safer level.
6: Lastly, commenters, advocates, and miners ask for the rule to phase in better sampling technology.
7: Rather than grounding the rule or having the rule rely on the current sampling technology that's available, that there will be technology forcing and that it will adopt better technology as it becomes available. And, you know, we know that that these kinds of regulations and rules can produce the demand for better technology. And so we really want to see that change.
6: For Appalachia Health News, I'm Emily Rice in Charleston.
0: Appalachia Health News is a project of West Virginia public broadcasting with support from Charleston Area Medical Center and Marshall Health. Earlier, we heard Howard Berkus's 2018 story about advanced black lung for NPR. Well, Howard's continued to report on advanced black lung, even after retiring from NPR. Recently, he helped lead a new investigation into advanced black lung cases, co-published by Public Health Watch, Louisville Public Media, and Mountain State Spotlight. I spoke with Howard about what his team found. Howard Berkus, thank you for coming on Inside Appalachia and speaking with us today.
2: Great to be with you.
0: So your work in the past, your investigations in the past, have seemed to have resulted in some action now. MSHA has proposed some new regulations for monitoring silica dust.
2: Yeah, MSHA has taken two very significant steps here in, in this proposed rule. One is to make the exposure limit for silica dust twice as tough as it has been. That was recommended by the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health back in 1974. And it was recommended again by the Labor Department's own Mine Dust uh, Advisory Committee in 1996. And it's taken all these years for EmSHA to finally adopt what has been long recommended this very tougher limit to exposure to silica dust. That's a major, major improvement. And the second thing that they did is that they decided to regulate overexposure to silica dust directly. In the past, they applied a complicated formula. If a mining company had too much silica dust, then the mining company had to lower the amount of overall mine dust, coal dust and silica dust, in the air. And that was supposed to bring down the silica dust exposure to an acceptable level. But it's not a one-to-one relationship. And what we found in our previous investigation was 9,000 overexposures to silica dust even after the mining companies responded to to the regulation that was in effect at the time. So now, MSHA is directly regulating silica dust, and there can be uh, citations and fines associated with exceeding the silica dust level. That has never happened in the past. Um, So those are two very promising elements of this proposed rule.
0: There have also been some criticisms of the proposed rule as well.
2: Yeah, mostly on, on enforcement and oversight. There really is no... Regular oversight built into the rule. Uh, The rule requires mining companies to conduct an enormous amount of sampling of dust and to record the results of those samples. And if they show that there's overexposure to silica dust, The rule requires that the mining companies then make changes in the way they're mining so that the silica dust is limited, is reduced. And there are various things that can be done. They can increase the ventilation. They can make sure that their water sprays on the mining machines are working properly. Those are two key elements in in managing dust uh, in coal mines. They can slow down the mining machines and not mine so quickly. Uh, They can stop mining a seam that has so much quartz in it. Those are all things that, that mining companies are, are required to do once there's a excessive dust. And while they're doing those things, they're allowed to continue to mine, and they're allowed to let miners continue to work in what are dangerous levels of dust, but miners must wear respirators. That has its own set of problems. Uh, We've interviewed dozens and dozens of miners uh, since 2016, and they all complain about the dust masks not working properly, clogging up, inhibiting their breathing, getting too hot, inhibiting their ability to communicate with fellow miners in a very dangerous environment. And there are new helmets out that uh, are very effective for protecting miners from dust, but they can block vision and can block communication in ways that can become dangerous in a coal mine. The main problem with all of this is that MSHA is not going to be watching all the time. Uh, Mine inspectors only go into coal mines four times a year, and they'll do their own sampling when they're in there. And they can ask to see the results of the sampling the mining companies have done. But what this means is that most of the time, there will be no Mine Safety and Health Administration oversight and enforcement of this new rule. It'll be up to the mining companies. And as coal miner after coal miner after coal miner, who we've interviewed over the years, will tell you, some mining companies have conducted fraudulent sampling over the years. As recently as last year, there was a criminal prosecution in Kentucky for fraudulent dust sampling.
0: So, IMSHA has been collecting comments on these proposed rules, and they've been hearing from miners and advocates in the coal industry. Um, by the time this segment airs, that comment period will have come to a close. But in the last few days, um, Public Health Watch has published a new investigation with Louisville Public Media and Mountain State Spotlight that calls into question some of MSHA's, um projections, some of its estimates on which it's basing this rule. Can you tell us a little bit about that investigation and what your team found?
2: Sure. One of the things that really struck me in the very extensive and dense document that MSHA has uh, produced to justify what it wants to do, you know, significant new requirements for not only coal mines, but metal, non-metal mines as well, is they project how many lives will be saved and how much disease will be avoided if this new rule is permitted to take effect. And what really shocked me was that the projection for coal mines was 63 deaths avoided over 60 years, a little more than one a year. And 244 cases of disease, of black lung disease, avoided over 60 years. And that just doesn't make sense given how much disease has actually occurred which MSHA never mentions in its document. And so we calculated how much disease has occurred by continuing our uh, survey of uh, black lung clinics, both independent clinics and clinics that are funded by the federal government. And what we found, which MSHA doesn't mention, is that in just the last five years, there have been 1,500 new cases of progressive massive fibrosis, the advanced stage of black lung disease, as reported by these clinics. Um, The total since 2010, since we, that's as far back as we go in our survey of clinics, is over 4,000 cases of, of this horrific disease. This is a fatal disease. There is no cure. We also, by the way, we looked at how many excessive exposures there have been in coal mines in recent years at the new limit. Say the new limit was in place. Since 2016, we found over 5,000 excessive exposures at the new limit. So what these numbers sort of provide is a sense of how serious this situation is how much overexposure continues to occur, and how much disease continues to occur. And that's not in this proposed rulemaking. In fact, the numbers presented for silica dust exposure since 2016 by the Mine Safety and Health Administration, uh, they just have numbers from 2016 to 2021, They don't report how many excessive exposures there were in this document. They report that there were 93% of exposures that were within the limit. Well, that sounds like a great number, 93%. It sounds like, oh, things aren't so bad. But that other 7% represents more than 5,000 excessive exposures. And because this is such a toxic substance that's a lot of potential disease and death that is out there. And you got to understand that for a proposed rulemaking that this process involves. Um, so right now it's proposed, you mentioned that there's this comment period that has taken place, uh, that the industry and the public and mine safety advocates and miners get to, you know, comment on it. Um, before there's a final rule, the Department of Labor has to approve whatever the final rule might be, and the Office of Management and Budget has to approve this final rule. We've got an election year coming up. There's often sensitivity from the White House and the Office of Management and Budget on anything that might make voters not vote for candidates that the administration supports or might not vote for the president again if there's something in this that offends them. And I've seen this happen in the past uh, where regulatory action was stalled in order to hold off until after an election. And there may be other reasons that uh, there could be concerns or objections budget-wise or otherwise from uh, the impact on the industry. The industry is going to weigh in. So it's important if you're going to state your case, to state it as strongly as possible. And this rulemaking does not state that case as strongly as possible. And there may be lawsuits from the mining industry over this. So it's puzzling to me why they didn't do that. And when we asked the Mine Safety Administration why they didn't do that, they said uh, the comment period exists so that people can tell us what we might need to do better, and this will be one of the things that we consider if people comment on this.
0: It's mind-blowing to think that this is thousands, but it's important to understand that behind each of these numbers is a human being. You've interviewed dozens of these miners. What have you taken away from those interviews that's not necessarily reflected in the data?
2: I want to point out that every one of those miners had progressive massive fibrosis. We interviewed minors who had the worst stage of disease. And one of the things they all talked about was what their prospects were for the future. Many of them watched fathers, brothers, uncles, grandfathers die of black lung disease. And so they know what they face. This is a a tragedy that strikes generations and families. Um, Fathers that won't see their kids grow up. Fathers that won't see uh, their daughters at their weddings. uh, Won't see high school graduations. Um, And actually, it's not just men. There are uh, women minors with this disease as well. The tragic nature of this is just so astounding and moving and deep when you talk to a minor with severe disease at advanced stages, they can hardly get a sentence out uh, without coughing or without having to pause for very deep breaths. Uh, a minor in my story, uh, Danny Smith, who was diagnosed at 39, he's 51 now, he has his gravesite picked out. I tried to call him in the last couple of weeks and his breathing is so labored, he said he can't get through a phone call. So we were communicating by text message. And Danny was featured in our 2018 story. I've known him, you know, since then, and we've been in communication since then. And he's in terrible shape and it's so bad. He loved coal mining, but it's so bad he said he says now he wishes he never stepped foot in a mine. And this was a job he loved. It was a job that made a good life for him and his daughters. he's a He's a single parent. And there's an enormous amount of of regret of buying into this bargain of of a great life for mining coal. You know, part of what I don't understand is, in any other workplace in our country, if you had thousands and thousands of people who were sick and dying from a disease there would be outrage and there would be response and there would be response quicker than what has come i i don't know why people don't seem to care about coal miners and uh, there are 40,000 coal miners still working you know today so i don't know what it takes to get a response that gets this going in a way that really protects and helps coal miners. But they are people like you and me who are, have done a job to make lives better for their families, and they're caught up in this whole thing, and it's killing a lot of them.
0: Howard Berkus, thank you for your important work on this topic. This is a important subject for the U.S. and the federal government that has just such a deep, deep impact here in central Appalachia, as you've covered Thanks for coming on Inside Appalachia and speaking with us about it. Always a pleasure to be with you. That was reporter Howard Burkus. He's part of a recent investigation co-published by Public Health Watch, Louisville Public Media, and Mountain State Spotlight. Learn more on our website, (laughs) wvpublic.org.
2: was by my
7: window on one cold
2: and cloudy day when I saw that
0: her We've spent some time today talking about advanced black lung in central Appalachia. It's affecting a new generation of coal miners, far too young to be dealing with such a debilitating condition. We're closing today's show with a song. In 2020, Steve Earle and the Dukes recorded the album Ghosts of West Virginia. It was part of a project Earle took on with the creation of a play called Coal Country. The play and the music were inspired by the Upper Big Branch mine disaster in 2010, which killed 29 miners. The play and the songs on the record were drawn from interviews with survivors and families of the miners who were killed. Earl also went to Raleigh County, West Virginia, with playwrights Jessica Blank and Eric Jensen, where they spent time with miners, their families and the surrounding community there. This is one of the songs from "Ghost of West Virginia." It's called "Black Long."
3: up a ridge top slicing through the frost like a red hot knife sometimes a dream and I'm a running across but it couldn't not save my life hound dog yipping in a holler must have jumped a bear bubble we'll listen to him run somebody oughta catch him by the collar but I ain't going nowhere cuz I'm down with black lung black lung never gets better heavy breath a little bit harder to draw Shotgun loaded in a corner beckon I'ma lie here and die black alone Ah. Ah. Some days are better than the others I sit on a porch when it's cool at night Can't say there ain't nothing that I'm suffering. Take like a 12-round fight Grandbabies out beneath the willow tree Hollering, laughing, and the sound like fun Can't pick him up and hug the nest anyway Sorry, honey, granddaddy's down with black lung Black lung never gets better Every breath's a little bit hotter to draw A shotgun looted in the corner Reckon I'ma lie here and die of black lung tell a long while my first with a fresh share at the whistle and I already lose just a battle of time if I've never been down in a cool mind I lose a lot
0: Till next time, thanks for joining us as we journey throughout Appalachia. Our theme music is by Matt Jackford. Other music this week was provided by John Hurlbit and Jorma Kokkonen, Tim Bing, June Carter Cash, and Steve Earle. Bill Lynch is our producer. Xander Alloy is our associate producer. Our executive producer is Eric Douglas. Kelly Libby is our editor. Our audio mixer is Patrick Stevens. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at in Appalachia. You can also send us an email to insideappalachia at wvpublic.org. Visit wvpublic.org slash insideappalachia to subscribe or stream all of our stories. Or look for Inside Appalachia on your favorite podcast app. Inside Appalachia is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for Inside Appalachia is provided by Concord University, focusing on students' futures. Classes available at concord.edu apply.